Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <coughs> Recorded live. Hello, this is Mike Adams again from Nothing But The Truth. Uh, episode 7, or part 7 of our We Under The Market of East. And let's get this out of the way. And let's go here. All right. I'm going to start uh, sort of doing the usual reading of the uh, headlines from Yahoo.com. Since I already did it earlier today, I'm going to just read more of the Colossians. Okay. Rooted in uh, Rock Colossians 2, verse 7 onward. Rooted and built in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding uh, therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of man, after the rudiments of the world, and uh, after Christ. For in, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcisions of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are raised with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath been quickened together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and power, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holy of an holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary Humility, worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, 
and not holding the head, from which all the body, by joints and bands, have having nourishment ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as thou living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandment and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will, worship, and humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to satisfy the satisfying of the flesh. Okay. Now I'm going to read an article from markofthebeast.net, 666, the number of the beast. And then I'm going to try to get to Nicholas's from uh, Roman God's article about the mark of the beast. Number of the beast, 666. Revelation 13 mentions uh, the number of the beast. That number is 666. What exactly is that number? What does it represent? On this page, we hope to clarify this issue that has been greatly confused in the world. It's interesting, you know, we look at the Catholics, by the way, uh, in the Catholic website, I've seen the, uh, this one in particular that I'll probably end up reading some of their information. Uh, argues that the mark of the beast is actually the euro. Uh, yes, money. A coin with the picture of Europa on it. And the, with the bill, the, the, the bills that they have, the paper notes with the picture of Europa on it, which is an ancient goddess that dates back prior uh, I, I believe to the um, the New Testament, and um, could it be the mark of the beast? I don't know. If you look at uh, Revelation thirteen two uh, as well, they suggest that in, in Revelations chapter three verse one, when it says that I stood upon the sands of the sea and I saw a beast rise out of the sea that this, they suggest, is the European Union. <clears throat> Having seven heads and ten horns, the ten horns apparently being the ten kingdoms of the old Roman Empire that consist of like countries of the Western Europe like France and England and, uh, and of course their old names like the Saxons and the Franks and that kind of thing. But the seven heads claimed to be the seven anti-popes that finished with the uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, that they considered was the last empty pope, and that um, Pope Francis, who's come from the Catholic Church, uh, hardcore Catholics who consist. And that Pope Francis is a, not a legitimate pope, but because he's a layman and was improperly selected and will improperly go through all the 
rites and rituals to become a pope is a false pope. In fact, they think that was it Pope John Paul II was the I'm, hopefully I got that right. If I don't, my apologies. But they say one of the the seven anti popes just in the past uh, half century or more. Uh, I believe it's Pope John II is the Antichrist, and that the uh, false prophet is Pope Benedict Benedict the Sixteenth, and that uh, Francis there again is there. He's to cause the demise of the Roman Catholic Church, and. Maybe he will be. Maybe that's just the case. Maybe this year is the beginning, or maybe 2013 was the beginning of the end, the demise of the Roman Catholic Church. Only time will tell. Um, But, you know, of course, they completely ignore the second verse of chapter 13 when it starts describing... Um, the beast and more details. So, and well, yeah, the red, the dragon, the red dragon revelations is uh, communism, uh, communist Russia. Interesting. Huh? Knowing what we know now, that the Jesuits created communism. Um, interesting twist to all of it, don't you think? Which makes me go back to listening to these folks a little more because they seem to maybe have their act together a little bit better. Anyways, there is much confusion in the world today about 666's number of the beast. Some believe that 666 is actually mark is the actual mark of the beast in the form of a barcode or a tattoo. Some even believe that the number isn't 666, but is 616 or 606. But Revelations 13 is very clear that the number is 603 scores and 6, which is 666. So straight away, we can discard the belief that the number of the beast is anything other than 666. Now, there is a very important point that the majority of the people miss concerning the number 666, and that is the fact that 666 is a number that needs to be calculated. Revelations 13:18. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man, and his number is 603 scored in six. As you can see, it says that we need wisdom and that we need to calculate the number, although it says count, but we'll go with it, calculate, the number of the beast. So what does this mean? It means that 666 cannot just be three digits that would appear on a barcode or tattoo. 
Neither does it mean that the digit 666 that may appear in a date or a phone number or a license plate is evil in of itself. The three digits of 666 together are not evil. This is an actual number that needs to be calculated, so other numbers need to be added together to arrive at the number 666. So to be able to calculate the number 666, we need to first find out who the beast is, right? Because the number is the number of the beast, so logic tells us that we first need to know who the beast is. This is why we need wisdom to find out what this number is and who, whose number it is. Who is the beast? The identity of the beast in Revelation 13, also known as the main end-time antichrist system, can be found in various places in the Bible. In Daniel 7, we find a little horn power that rises from the old Roman Empire amongst the ten nations of Europe. They the ten horns, right? Or the, yeah, the ten horns in Revelation 13.1. At least that's how the Roman Catholics did. And most Protestants, especially the Reformers from what I understand. If we take a look at the description of the beast, you will see it is an amalgamation of all the beasts of Daniel 7. So we are looking at a kingdom today that has many of the traditions and systems from the prior kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. This beast also speaks great things against God and persecutes God's people during a specific time period. It reigned over and persecutes the people of God for the same amount of time that the little horn power does. <clears throat> so what kingdom is this beast? It is the papacy based at the Vatican. But the beast isn't just the Vatican. It is a union of church and state. It is a union between the papacy and the nations of the world with the Roman Catholic Church leading the way and telling the other nations what to do. How do we know this? Revelation 17 gives us a clear answer. Revelation 17, we find a woman riding a beast. <clears throat> now, the Catholics consider the woman riding the beast to be Europa. And that the beast is the UN. What will we learn here? Knowing that a woman in Bible prophecy, from what I've learned, symbolically refers to a church or a religion and not just a figure of an ancient god. This woman is a whore, known as the whore of Babylon. See here. Who is guilty of committing fornication with the world and has also 
persecuted God's people. We see that the beast which the woman is riding is the same seven-headed beast in Revelation 13. What does it symbolize by the woman riding the beast? It symbolizes the fact that the woman is in control of the beast and directing it, telling it where to go and what to do. And if you check out the study of the Whore of Babylon, you will see that the that it represents the Roman Catholic Church. So, although the beast of Revelation 13 is comprised of other nations of the world, which gives their support and power to the papacy, the main Antichrist kingdom, which does the leading and directing, is the papacy at the Vatican. This is the beast whose mark is enforced upon the world. <clears throat> Number of the beast. So if you know the identity of the beast in Revelation 13, then we can find out exactly what 666, the number of the beast, represents. And verse 18 of Revelation 13 just says the following. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred and three score and six. Or somebody chastised me because I said it was six six six. By the way, that's what it is, six six six. But that's all right. People can do what they want. Okay, so now we are getting somewhere. The number of the beast is also the number of a man. So we should be able to, fight, to fit this number, 666, with a particular person of the beast. Does the papal church of Rome have a leader? Yes. Just as the little horn of Daniel 7 had eyes like the eyes of a man who spoke great things against our most high God. So does this beast in Revelation 13 have a man at the helm who has spoken great pompous words against God Almighty? That man being the Pope, just take, just take a look at this page um, to see just some of the pompous words that the Roman Catholic Church spake against God. And we've gone over this over and over again in this show. And maybe what I'll do is I'll go over here to this page and look at a little of other pompous words. And here are some of the pompous words. Pope declared as God on earth. The Pope is not simply the representative of Jesus Christ. On contrary, he is Jesus Christ himself. Under the veil of flesh... Evangelical Christendom, January 1st, 1895, page 15, published in Rome by uh, J.S. Phillips. Uh, against this background of love towards Holy, Holy Church, the pillar and bulwark of truth, and it says First uh, Timothy 3.15, we readily understand the devotion of, of St. Francis of Assisi for the Lord Pope. 
the adultery, startly outspokenness of St. Catherine of Siena. No, I didn't know that. Towards the one whom she called sweet Christ on earth, Pope John Paul II, apostolic exhortation on the consecrated life and its mission in the church and in the world to the bishops and clergy, religious order and congregation societies of the apostolic life, secular institutions, and all the faithful given in Rome at St. Peter's, March the 25th, 1996. This is here. The Pope and God are the same, so he has all power in heaven and earth. Pope Pius V quoted in Barclay chapter, looks like 27, page 218, Cities of Petrus Bertinus. Okay, anyways, I'm going to go back. Okay, so we did that. And I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to spend all the time quoting all of the blasphemous statements from the Vatican and from the papacy and their pompous words because there's more to read here. So, can we fit the number 66 with the Pope? Yes. Take a look at the following quotes. The letters inscribed in the Pope's Miter are these, Vicarious Philae die, which is the Latin for Vicar of the Son of God. Catholics hold that the Church, which is a visible society, must have a visible head. Christ, before his ascension into heaven, appointed St. Peter to act as his representative. Hence, the Bishop of Rome, as head of the Church, was given the title, Vicar of Christ. At present, the Pope's Minor does not contain the Latin title, but the words are incorporated into the coronation um, ceremonies of each newly crowned Pope. Quote from Catholic newspaper, Our Sunday Visitor, in April 1915. And I wonder if that was uh, what happened with Pope Francis on that one? Because he's been very rebellious and really pushing away, trying to present himself as the man of the people, just a man of the people, and not God. Interesting, too, that he's the first one who's actually been doing that, that I know of. Hence why a lot of very conservative Catholics say that he is an apostate, uh, false uh, leader of the Catholic Church and should not be there because he will not comply with a lot of the rites and rituals of the Roman Catholic Church, which on one hand you would say, well, that's really great and I really admire that you'd be so rebellious and, and be willing to change things, but clearly 
he's still walking around, so the people around him, his handlers, and all the other Jesuits and Freemasons are quite happy with what he's doing. As it leads towards the New World Order, the New World Religion that will be part of it. Question, Vicarious Philidae, what does it mean? Is it a phrase referring to a pope or a priest? I have heard that it is inscribed in the Pope's hat and sometimes, or something. Just curious to know what it is. Answer from Father uh, Reginald Martin. Vicarious Philidae means vicar or representative of the Son of God, a term scholars believe first appears in a document known as the Donation of Constantine Dated to the 8th or 9th century, this is an apt description of the Pope, who is frequently referred to as the Vicar of Christ, and at present, <clears throat> probably only the most uh, bitterly anti-Catholic individuals would take offense uh, at the title. Like, is that me? Am I a bitterly anti-Catholic individual? Our Sunday visitor, the Catholic answer, the 24th November 2011. If you convert the name of Vicarius Philidae uh, into Roman numerals and calculate the total number, you will come up with 66. I also, by the way, was told that Ellen uh, G. White it comes up with the same 666, but the difference between Ellen and the Pope is Ellen is a woman, and the Pope is a man. <clears throat> so, we have to match the f for a number 66. It is a number of the beast, the Papal Church of Rome. And more specifically, it's the number of a man who is the leader of the beast system, the Pope. Babylonian Solar Seal. The Babylonian Solar Seal. Hmm. There is also evidence of a Babylonian solar seal with 36 numbers on it, representing the different Babylonian gods that they worshipped. And if you calculate the 36 number on the seal as pictured, and it has a picture of the seal, and you can go online and find the Babylonian solar seal. Um... If you calculate the 36 numbers on the seal as pictured, adding them together, they come to 66. In this Babylonian system of worship, they had 36 gods, with the sun god being the supreme father, god that ruled all of the other gods. And they assigned the sun god to the total number of all these other gods, which had was 666. For much more information on the solar seal, the Babylonian numbering system, and then it says here, you see this site and this site about 666. And maybe we will do that another day. For That would be a very interesting site study. Now, maybe you are thinking, what has this got to do with the Roman Catholic Church? Well, it has a lot to do with it because the Roman Catholic Church adopted many of the pagan systems and traditions of Babylon. 
What is the Roman Catholic Church called in Revelation 17 18? Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. So we are now dealing with spiritual Babylon, a woman who represents a church who has committed fortifications with the world and adopted many of the original Babylonian traditions. And then it says, please study about, please study and learn about the horror of Babylon to see proof that the Babylon the Great has to be a, a professing church, Christian church. Boy, there's a lot to, to read from here, isn't there? But I do want to get to you. Uh, Nicholas's uh, article. And what about the ultimate sun worship? Was it to that, was that adopted to? Well, we know the Catholic Church are largely responsible for changing the Lord's seventh day Sabbath to Sunday to keep the pagan holiday, but also to take a look at the following but also take a look at the following pictures. And then they've got a couple pictures here. And uh, it says, on the left you will see a Roman Catholic Church procession with a clear image of the sun being held aloft and carrying, carried by the priest. And on the right you will see a very early picture of, the, of sun worship. <clears throat> Just look at the images of the sun both. They are the same. This is just one of the many images within the Roman Catholic Church that are adorned, venerated, and worshipped. The Roman Catholic Church is full of different gods, just like the ancient Babylon was. There is no doubt that the Beast of Revelations 13 is the Papal Church of Rome, and the number of the Beast 666 points to the Papal Church. More specifically, it points to the leader of that church, the Pope. And what an interesting article that will they could expand upon. But let's move on. And let's see if I got saved. All right. Mark of the Beast. And this is by remnantofgod.org. Yes, another Reformed Seventh-day Adventist group that I don't belong to, by the way. On July 7, 1998, the Vatican released the following statement to all the churches of the world. Christians will naturally strive to ensure that civil legislation respecting their duty to keep Sunday holy. Section 67, Dies Domini, July 7, 1998. Emphasized add, emphasis added. Okay. For those of you of the Protestant or non-Christian faith, this statement doesn't seem to have much authority behind it, simply because you simply uh, don't look upon the Pope as your leader. However, on June 26, 2000, the United Religions Initiative was signed into what government leaders refer to as a global law. The truth is, this is actually one of the many global laws popping up lately. 
At the signing of the document, it became a, an all-inclusive international reality that any pope signing in the Vatican after that date is now considered the universal moral authority over all churches with membership in the worldwide Council of Churches, which essentially rules over your locally known National Council of Churches. This includes non-Christian churches that have joined as well. Thousands of years ago, the Christian Bible predicted the Antichrist would speak to enforce unjust laws so as to enforce its mark upon the people of this world. This ministry, as well as many others, have been preaching this day was coming for many years. Sadly, even more ministries have been preaching that our message is a bogus translation of the prophecy of Daniel and Revelations. Prayerfully, by the end of this message, you will have a clear understanding of what the truth is. In the letter entitled, Dies Domini, which is Latin for the Lord's Day, we see the Pope demanding all Christian, Christians worldwide to respect and honor Sunday as the first day of the week instead of Saturday, the seventh day of the week, in direct opposition to the law of God. In other words, the Pope is seeking religious law that will be literally designed to force all people around the world to break the laws of God and accept man's traditions in its place. Scripture is plain that we must beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Colossians 2.8, which I read the beginning of this show. <clears throat> Jesus said that we should not, quote, re, uh, re, uh, uh, rejecting the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. And Mark 7, 9, as the Bible believes Christians, we must never transgress the law of God, for it is written in 1 John 3, verse 4, that, quote, sin is the transgression of the law. The Pope is seeking to force us by using the law of the land to break commandment four. I am completely aware that many preachers teach we are no longer under the law, but they do so without scriptural understanding of what that inspired term actually means. <clears throat> It is a well-known fact for the last few decades that the majority of Bible colleges the world over teach a watered-down version of the truth so as not to offend Mother Rome. To offend Rome is to lose certain benefits they simply cannot afford to lose. They stand for forfeit to forfeit everything from large government subsidies to certain political advantages, to say the least. So rather than do as the, their creator God commands them when teaching the students left in their care, 
they do as their idol tempts them to do. That idol, of course, being money. Doing so, they have forfeited the blessings outlined in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. 1 Peter 5, 1-4, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but for a ready mind, neither are as neither neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So what is Paul talking about when he says we're uh, no longer under the law in Romans chapter 6? What does under the law mean? First, we need to define sin because this is the reason for the issue of the law being discussed. The definition of sin, 1 John 3, 4, sin is a transgression of the law. Penalty for sin, Romans 6, 23, wages of sin is death. The cost of sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. And 1 and Corinthians 6, 20 says, ye are bought with a price. Now, that we know that sin is breaking the commandment of God, does the word of God expound on the curse of being under the law? Daniel 9.11, He, yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, because we have sinned against him. Daniel is rather clear here. Uh, To transgress the law means the curse is poured upon us. We are then under the curse of the law when we break it. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the workers of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians 3.13, God hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is, for it is written, Cursed he is every one that hangeth on a tree. Here it's made clear, quite clear, to be a Christian we are redeemed from that curse. Jesus was made the curse for us when he hung upon the cross. He did this so that we did not have to die as the law demands 
for anyone that transgresses it. And yes, you have sinned, I have sinned, everyone has sinned, for it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10 My favorite passage on explaining this biblical fact is Deuteronomy's, uh, Deuteronomy 11, verses 26-28. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. So according to Deuteronomy's, there is a blessing if you keep the law and a curse if you break it. The Old Testament theology was never changed by Christ. In fact, Christ plainly states in Matthew five seventeen, Think not that I come I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. And how did he fulfill the law? We just read in Romans three or six twenty three that the law stated the wages of sin is death, right? Galatians 3.13 just informed us that Jesus came to be that curse for us. He fulfilled the requirements of the law for us by dying for us 2,000 years ago. It's that simple. Sin demands a death as payment for sin. Christ paid that price for us. The curse is still there for everyone that chooses to sin. And the blessing is still there for everyone that chooses to obey. This is a law of God. How can such a thing change when this very God stated clearly in Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. The God of creation is not like men, where he makes mistakes and has to change things. He could not predict as a possible end result, excuse me, he could not predict as a possible end result of his actions. Our God is a God that sees the end from the beginning. See Isaiah 48.10, the law of God was never done away with. In fact, Luke 16, 17 says, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle or one yeah, one tittle of the law to fail. Which is which law is this? The law instituted long ago. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye shall walk in it. Second John one six. If you sin, you are then under the curse simply because the law can never be done away with. Jesus himself said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not and no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Hmm. So it says, uh, what, so till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not and no ways, 
no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. Matthew 5.18 Common sense affords us the reality that heaven and earth have not yet passed away. You are standing on solid ground, are you not? The heavens are still above your head as well. So according to Jesus Christ himself, the law is still valid. If we transgress the law, we sin. If we sin, there must be a death for that sin. This is the beauty of what he did on the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God commandeth his love towards us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Second Corinthians 5.14 says, If one died for all, then we're all dead. And 1 Thessalonians 5, and, uh, 9-10 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that... Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, some teach that since Jesus already died, we no longer have to keep the law. However, Romans 3.31 says, Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. The fact Jesus died and we acknowledge that death and gain forgiveness of our sins, and establish the very law that they claim is null and void. How can they say the law is no longer valid when they themselves claim Jesus as their Savior? If the law was invalid, what did he save them from? You can't claim him as Savior, and at the same time claim the law cannot cannot exact payment for our sins. If Jesus did not die for you, then you must die for your sins instead. This is why we must confess our sins. We will sin, and because of that sin, we deserve death. No getting around that. That is what what's required for transgressors of the law. However, if we confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. The fact that John is saying we are still, <clears throat> that we, that we still need to confess our sins proves the law is still valid today. The Bible clearly proclaims that the only way someone can end up under the law is when they break it. What you do then is deny God's grace offered freely to you. How can you still be under grace when sinning without a desire to repent and confess? You're either under his grace after repentance and confession or under law for refusal of the same of the same 
There is no gray areas here. Truth is truth. Romans 2, 12 through 13. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearer of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. <clears throat> That's a very good one. And John 5, 14, After Jesus fighteth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. This, this verse amply proves that if we choose to sin after becoming followers of Jesus, or Christ, excuse me, then a worse thing shall come unto us. This proves against the law is still, this proves again the law is still valid. The ultimate verse for this has to be the following, Romans 1.5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Yes, it is true. We have been blessed with grace in the age of the church. But according to the word of God, that grace is what helps us to be obedient to the faith. So speak ye and, do, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. James 2.12 Look at Adam and Eve, for example. They are okay, they are what men what man was meant to be before the fall. But what was the fall? They were disobedient. Many believe that all they have to do is to believe in Jesus Christ to gain heaven. They failed to realize that Adam and Eve saw Jesus face to face. They actually saw the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Genesis 3.8. That's why they hid from him. The fact is, they had no problem whatsoever believing in him because they had first-hand evidence he exists. It was disobedience that caused Adam and Eve to fall. If you feel just believing in Jesus is sufficient to gain heaven, then you are stating Satan. You know, then you are stating Satan will be in heaven as well. For it is common biblical knowledge that the devil, the devils, believe and tremble. James two nineteen. Basic Christianity one hundred one tells us that we must know Satan and his angels will not be in heaven. Yet they believe. And Jesus, the Son of God, for they plainly state so in Mark 1, 24, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee are I know I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. So again, just believing he is Lord is not sufficient to gain heaven. Anyone can believe 
Satan and his angels prove, prove that. Listen to the words of one who is known as the end-time prophet, who spoke much of our day, much, who spoke much of our day thousands of years ago. Ezekiel 33:13. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trusts to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousness shall not be remembered, for, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Okay, where am I? Okay, I need to take a little break and give myself my mouth a break. Print's kind of small, and it's a lot, so I don't even know if I... I probably won't even get... Won't even finish this today at all. It's because it's already what forty-eight minutes into it. So, but we'll keep plugging along. It's probably would take two shows just to read this article. But I like this article because he's using the Bible. Pounding it home, my friend. Pounding it home. It's awesome. Iniquity is known sin. If we are no longer under the law but under grace, and can continue in sin, as many assume is okay to do, why does Ezekiel say they die for their their known sins? It can't be talking about sinners here because they simply don't know what sin is until they find Christ and his perfect law. For it is plainly written, Romans 3.20, for by the law, is the knowledge of sin, Romans 7, 7. I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covenant, or covet. Excuse me. It is no mistake, Ezekiel is speaking of the Ten Commandments here as well, because he quotes from the commandments when he speaks of coveting. Ezekiel is talking about people claiming to be God's people, sinners that have no clue of what the law is, simply cannot commit known sin. Only believers can do that. Non-believers do not know what sin is. Need I remind you of what Jesus said concerning some that claim to know him? Matthew 7 uh, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that said unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the, the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They called him Lord in this passage. And and, uh, they called him Lord in this passage, did they not? However, at the same time, Jesus called them workers of iniquity. Had they been simple sinners onward of, of Christ and his law, they 
never would have called out, Lord, Lord. Either would they, being under grace, means simply that we are under the good graces of our God, not to sin. For example, let's see here. Picture being pulled over by a cop for speeding. You are not under the law until you speed. You broke the law, and now the curse of the law is your just desert, which in this case is the ticket. However, if you ask the cop for mercy and he gives it, are you allowed... Are you allowed to speed now? No, of course not. You are under his good grace, right? So, you are then extra careful not to break the law. After thanking him for sparing you the ticket, you don't pull away spraying gravel all over the cop because you don't want to insult his mercy towards you. It's that simple. Jesus taught us to follow his example, not men's. It is anti-Christian teaching to do as the Pope suggests. This is deadly to your eternal soul and mind if you transgress and ignore the law of God again. This is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the, the commandment that ye have heard from the beginning. Ye shall walk in it. Second John 1, 6. By the way, from the beginning can't be said much plainer. The Ten Commandments were there at the beginning, were they not? Abraham himself, many years before the Jews were given the law in writing, as recorded as one who kept the Ten Commandments in Genesis 26, 5. And it says, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes. Many claim that the Ten Commandments are strictly a law for the Jewish people. Yet we just saw that Genesis biblical was yeah, biblical evidence that many years before the first Jew was ever born, man kept the Ten Commandments, plus the Fourth Commandment concerning the Sabbath itself was instituted in the Garden of Eden at least 2,500 years before the first Jew uh, was ever born. In the week of creation, the Lord blessed and hallowed the seventh day as the day to keep the whole, keep holy, to remember what he did that week as creator. Adam and Eve were created on day six. The very next day, Adam and Eve were kept, kept the Sabbath. The Tenth Commandment were already there thousands of years before the Jewish nation came into existence. Okay. Many also claim that the law was done away with at the cross of Christ. Yet, if you were taking notes, you would have noticed I quoted over a dozen verses so far that were written many years after the cross of Christ that spoke of the Ten Commandments as valid 
for the New Testament Christians. And no, we do not keep the law of God to get saved. We keep it because we are saved. In other words, keeping the law is the fruit of Jesus. The fruit Jesus said, we, Jesus said, you will know us by. I ask, why do you suppose the devil would make such an open and apparent attack on the Ten Commandments? Do you suppose there is something about the law of God that is important to, that the enemy would try to hide it from us? Galatians 3.24 Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. As we learned thus far, the schoolmaster taught us what sin is. We are sinners, uh, unable to stop. This knowledge revealed we need a Savior. Okay. I think I'm gonna. I'm trying to think of where I should do. Where is this at? Where is this at? Where do? Uh, Proverbs twenty six ten. Whoso causes the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit. Matthew eighteen seven. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses cometh. Can the law save you? No, it cannot. Look at it this way. Go outside, roll in a mud puddle, now walk back into the house and stand in front of the mirror. The mirror does its job by showing you all the mud on your body. Now ask the mirror to clean all the mud off your body. Can it do that? No, of course not. All the mirror can do is show you that you have mud on you. Its only purpose is to let you know you need to be cleansed. And I think I'm going to stop right there. And once again, can the law save you? No, it cannot. All right. So as the end of, um, I know it's going to be a little shorter than usual, but I'm going to get tired. It's almost midnight. So um, this is the end of part seven for those who will listen, and uh, I will con- continue reading uh, uh, Nicholas's uh, article on the Mark of the Beast. And what is the name of that again? So I hope I don't forget where I was at, but that's a good place to remember. Can the law save you? No, it can't. And the Mark of the Beast is about to be enforced. And, you know, it is, uh, it's really not that long, but it's got a lot of, like, uh, extra articles in that. 
Uh, he does a very thorough job. So, anyways, there's your point of remembrance, or to remember, I should say. The law cannot save us. Only Jesus can. But we still want to do it. We want to do it because God commanded it. So, anyways, with that, all I can say is where in the heck is my Peter's whacking out. Okay. Have a good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.